Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a lounge singer to be their office receptionist. Hello, this is Mickey Marquis, and you've reached the office of Doug and Associates. <laughs> Thank you very much. Catch me Tuesday nights at the Hotel Johnson. Hello? But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Doug and Associates, this is Mickey Marquis. Hello? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Welcome to the Podaskew Podcast. I am CJ, and with me, as always, is in my hetero life, May Rico. What's up, man? What's up, dude? I'm drinking a beer for, like, one of the rare times on Podaskew Podcast. Even rarer, you're drinking a beer and I'm not. What the fuck is this about? Even more rare, I'm drinking a beer and it's not, like, 6 o'clock or anything like that. Yeah, right? Jesus. Um... So, well, and so to anyone that's listening and you've got keen ears, Rico sounds a little bit different today, and let's tell him why. Well, I am at someone's house. You are. I broke him. He let me, you know, I, I've, I've uh, kidnapped the family. No, I'm just... Uh, did, you, did you get the good well, stuff, at least? I mean, shit. I got, a, I got the guest. I, I <laughs> this is sort of like a king of comedy type of scenario. Uh, uh, no, in all seriousness, one of the great things about my job which is, you know, there's very few things that are great about my job, is I get some of the most interesting customers uh, that, that people I can just bullshit with. Yeah. And I've talked about it a couple times uh, in past episodes, but I do have a customer who has a very interesting career because he was an animator for Disney and he was is currently an animator for Pixar. And for those who either know or don't remember or don't give a fuck – uh, Pixar is basically the closest thing to a Hollywood studio out here in the Bay Area. So Pixar Animation Studios is like a stone's throw from here. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Doug Frankel. Hi. <laughs> hey, Doug. How's it going, man? I am here just confirming. Yes. Oh, well, that's good. Uh- <laughs> he tried to take the gag from his mouth. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good that you did that so we can talk. Um, no, but thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Well, it's the least I can do for uh, my favorite video store and a homie from New Jersey. There you go. Well, so th- are you from Jersey? I am from New Jersey, yes. Oh, what part? Ridgewood, Ridgewood, New Jersey. Oh, so you're another Northern Jersey. Are we ever going to get a South Jersey guest on this show, Rico, or what? No, I think it's just going to be you. I think you're the sole <laughs> I'm the South sole. South- person i think if we got a southern jersey person we would just say i don't like him i don't want him on my show <laughs> yeah you would um, no, i'm saying you would you'd be like no i'm the only southern jersey person on this podcast i mean well i mean we've had logo mike does he count sure i guess okay well there you, you go like him so much? yeah so anyway um <laughs> i like to think of myself as as north of the situation which would make you south of the situation yes and both things to be <laughs> good is, is, you know what i'm Yes. To. Oh, totally, right. and it's it's good to be as far away from the situation as humanly possible. So I, I think 
whole show was a fucking situation, <laughs> okay. if I'm being honest. It, it was. It was. Um, man. Well, so that's, I, a, that's a good way of starting. How did you go from Jersey to California? What, what was what well, – what, well, tell us your fucking life story, Doug. It's uh, all my mom's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Moms are like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I used to do uh, – I used to get those little telephone – those phone pads, you know, those little – you could turn them into flip, flip books. Okay. Um, they were just these little, little pads with no lines on them. So I'd start drawing from the last page and go – backwards and and actually animate on these things when i was sitting around the kitchen table and i'd flip them and show everybody and they'd be like you know oh that's so funny the way you made that guy falling out of the building and bouncing off the canopies (laughs) and blah 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 you should you know do that someday and my dad was very supportive of the of that as an actual dream because he was a frustrated artist and the last thing he wanted was for his kid to be a frustrated artist and so he said, you do whatever the hell you want, kid. Don't you let anybody tell you to be this or that. And, and my mom was actually in the same sort of uh, school of thought. And so when I was trying to, I went to college to be a psychologist and uh, everybody was studying away on my junior year. So I had no one to live with. All my friends were studying away or skiing, Aspen, whatever. And I, uh, I said to my mom, I don't, I don't have anyone to live with. I don't want to do. And she said, well, don't you still like animation? You should go to uh, I heard there was a school started by Walt Disney in California. Okay. I had never been west of uh, Philadelphia. <laughs> oh, mean, wow. I'd, I'd never been anywhere. <laughs> so uh, in terms of going west. So, um, so I said to my mom, well, w- that's so cool that Walt Disney started a school because I used to lay on my – stomach in my bedroom and just stare at this book called the art of walt disney which i have right there on my shelf still oh yeah and it would have these fold out pages where you could see how they composited all these layers to put what what they put on the screen i just thought oh that is so cool so uh she said well why don't you explore that dream and i said but i'm busy trying to be a psychologist and she said ah psychology schmology just have a little fun this year (laughs) so i i gotta credit her too and uh but i had to I did have to use some trickery to do it because uh, CalArts said they wouldn't take me as a visiting student. And uh, so I said, well, uh, there's no way. And they said, no, you'd have to drop out of college. So I pretended to drop out. <laughs> and, okay. And I, went to, I went to CalArts and I just funneled all the credits back east for my psychology degree because CalArts does teach psychology. Nice. And, um, so – yeah, so. So that so, uh, so I ended up with a degree in psychology and 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 a great CalArts student film, uh, you know, a, a good reel to shop around because CalArts well, is. You know, it, it's a good that. it's a good thing that if this animation thing doesn't work out for you, you've got something to fall back on. So there you go. That's right. I have a couch <laughs> ready to go if you want to lay down on it. There you go. Oh, oh shit, man! You'll need more than an hour. <laughs> okay. I assure you. Hey, yeah, for yeah. me or you? Okay, there, buddy. All right. Anyway. No, you are my psychologist, CJ. That's why we do this every week. Well, then, shit, I got to start billing you. Um, you anyway. Me, motherfucker. <laughs> um, so you've been, you've been anime, you've been drawing from a very early age then, if I'm understanding you correctly. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of animators are that way because you know we always say you you just sort of have to draw. It's a com- that's the big question: is it, animation is it a talent or is it a disorder? <laughs> okay. You know, it's like why do you compulsively have to do this? Well, you're the or psychologist. Watch you, you watch tell motion us. over and over again in a weird. It's not really normal behavior. Well, for someone who studied psychology, what would be your assessment on that? O- OCD. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think Pixar is, uh, you can call it an animation studio, or you could call it a mental hospital for people <laughs> with OCD. <laughs> yeah, I think I think both maybe would be yeah. appropriate. So. Hey, as long as you're getting paid, that's all that matters, right? right? That's right. That's the trick is you, you want to get paid for your treatment. You don't want to pay for it. So, yeah. 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 That's correct. I'm guessing then that you were a big fan of, of also watching animation as a kid, right? Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Right. My earliest memories watching, uh, actually the beginning of anime was my first exposure to, animation i think because um on tv when i i was i was a little kid in the 60s so i turned it on and i my very first glimpses of tv were actually right before it went to color (laughs) so i turned on i see astro boy piped in from oh wow and gigantor yeah and and i just thought those were the coolest things i'd ever seen um and that along with Jungle Book, which was being made in the 60s. Uh, so my whole, yeah, my, and, the, and the Flintstones so, and Bugs mm. Bunny. Those were my, my four big things were uh, Astro Boy, Jungle Book, um, Flintstones, and Bugs Bunny. So a lot of Hanna-Barbera, a lot of Disney, a lot of, uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, hey man, that, that, those are all great inspirations. Yeah, and Snow White too. I mean, they were, Disney was releasing stuff every seven years. So, yeah. So, was blown away by uh, the experience of seeing Snow White, which which is still, if you adjust for inflation, it's still ranked as the top roasting animated film of all time. For, infl- for with inflation, yeah, absolutely, just, I would agree with that. Yeah, I don't I mean, think it includes, I think, re-release money, but still, right. I mean, they've released the diamond platinum fucking edition numerous times on Blu-ray yeah, or yeah. whatever. <laughs> I mean, people are just that people are spending the money on it still. They're buying. Well, it. because there's always a new generation. There's always a new set of kids that can look at this and be like, wow, Snow White and wow, the Seven Doors. I mean, I think that's, that was the beauty of Seven Doors is like there is a character trope for anybody to identify with. Some people are docked. Some people are grumpy. I'm definitely grumpy. There's <laughs> sleepy. There's natural. Yeah. There's fucking grumpy. I would say is actually the, the key to making that whole movie work. I think I would argue, and this is for another podcast, but that the entire movie hangs on grumpy. Huh. So watch it again. Watch it again. See what you think. Can you elaborate? Like it's because he yeah, has that the arc. Movie. It's the arc. Because where's he... the arc? You're right. So he goes from looking like a grumpy sourpuss to. Having a heart, have, being blushing at one point, actually yeah. crying for Snow White. Yes. I agree. I would agree with that. Well, I mean, uh, and to your I'm point sorry. about it being uh, high grossing, Doug, I think that's also partially because of things like the Disney Vault, where they would lock these things away for, I think it was like 10 years at a time, and you couldn't get them anywhere. Like, you couldn't buy copies unless they were secondhand or whatever. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And the video market changed, you know everything and, oh tell me about it um <laughs> but i mean it's ever changing so like people say oh i have this vintage vhs collection 
I do. And I, I do. He does. And I, I just, I, you know, if you grew up in the sixties, you know, the, then what you've seen is like, you know, small uh, records go to big LPs and, and then vinyl gets, goes out of favor. And then all of a sudden VHS comes in and then, and laser discs and, and DVD and DVDs. It, it just is like, I can't keep up with it. Yeah. And yeah. so when people think they've got the vintage thing, I'm just feeling like saying, you know, okay, just hang in there for a while. You're going to have to, you're going to see a lot. <laughs> right. You know, so, ultimately it's revealed the most vintage thing of like a movie is like, Oh, well here's the film can of the original film. Beat that. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, in that case, that to me is really hitting the, the treasure trove. I agree. That's sure. the holy grail of, yeah. of film. You mentioned Snow White, but what would be your favorite television animation? Would it be Astro Boy or, or Gigantor, or would it be something a little more like Looney Tunes or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think for sure it's uh, it's Looney Tunes. Um, okay, it, it, it had ma- massive influence on me because it um, it sort of was freeing on a level that very you know maybe Chris Felucci later sort of. Uh, was up in that zone, um, even topping it in some ways, but the, the, uh, the freedom to just be insane, uh, was, was what I think Warner brothers was doing more than any other studio. And it was, and Mel Blanc was a genius. And mm-hmm. I even heard Dave Chappelle uh, in his thing. He said, what was his greatest influence? And he only had a tiny handful. And, and one of the big ones, maybe the biggest was, um, was Looney Tunes. I could see that. Yeah, I, I would yeah. say that Dave Chappelle is probably like a Looney Tunes character in in physical form. Yeah, Mel Blanc to him was is like a hero. Yeah. Um. And 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 I feel like that is if you're able to tap into that part of the subconscious that just cuts loose, that's where you get the the, the greatest, you know, genius entertainment. Mm-hmm. Well, you because CG and I have done our research. I actually. Like you worked on Tom and Jerry the movie, <laughs> yeah. Which like I uh, I gotta tell you, man. When I was a kid, like I loved watching that movie because it was such a bizarre thing to see Tom and Jerry talk. That yeah. that to me was as you're describing to see a something that you you know Tom and Jerry just don't talk. That's that's right. the appeal of it. It's it's two Charlie Chaplins beating the shit out of each other. And then to, <laughs> well, to hear Charlie Chaplin speak, is, yeah, it's not it, right. It's, not, it's right. not right. But for a little kid, it's like okay, that, that's what they would sound like. Yeah. But for a Warner, for a Looney Tunes junkie that you were, yeah, did you have some like, dude, I'm working on a Looney Tunes type movie. I'm working on because I know your first thing was with Madonna. Your first mm-hmm. movie that you worked for was like the opening scenes of a Madonna movie. Well, that was early on. Uh, that was actually the sec- the very very first thing I did was. Um, I uh, I picked up some. The first thing I paid for was there was this little weird Victorian house in uh, Studio City, part of L.A., where they were making uh, titles for a Saturday morning TV show called Gem. And uh, and word it got around that I was like a good fixer upper of faces, like I could put okay. a peel into faces. <laughs> you were the plastic surgeon for animators. How is the plastic surgeon? <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, and they had this Josie and the Pussycats type of rock band. And, I remember Joe. Yeah, and yeah. and the, I guess the girls were looking a little gnarly in the face. 
So they, so the cat, my Cal Arts buddies said, call this guy. He'll fix their faces up. So I was brought in to redraw their faces. And then I, you know, I started redrawing their hands and, st- you know, you get kind of crazy, but, right. but, uh, I got paid for that. And to me, I was just like, wow, I actually can get paid to do this. And then, and then the real lesson I think for kids is I started to, uh, apply to little, podunk studios around la that were doing saturday morning stuff not really podunk i mean the money was big for them but Mm -hmm. but the the shows were not feature film or disney level they were just tv ruby spears and you know dic and those kind of places Uh yeah uh and i uh i got rejected by every single one of them uh and finally my uh my old cowards roommate uh tony fucilli said stop being such a coward just go Go to the, go to the man. I'm like, the man's not going to hire me. Like, go just get, give your portfolio. He's talking about Disney. Right. That that is the man. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it is. And I said, there's no way, there's no way. And so the lesson to all the kids I ever talked to is I had been rejected by every, every little podunk studio. And I went to Disney and they said, we need you. That's great, man. Yeah. Aim for the stars. I mean, you're going from giving Botox injections to Jam, and then now you're all of a sudden you're working for for uh, Disney. That, that yeah. that's a rag to riches. That was. It was really. It was just uh, mind blowing for me because you start to judge yourself based on what you know other people say. Of course. And sometimes you just gotta take a dive and. And all of a sudden you realize that um, you know people say what they want to say at the moment, but it doesn't actually uh, – it's not actually where your self-esteem needs to be. Right. Yeah. You know, but looking at your your credits here, Doug, it, it shows that, you know, you, you said you got rejected, and I'm not sh- doubting that you did because any artist will get rejected a thousand times before they get accepted, I whether you're music or animation or whatever – Podcasters. Podcasters, yeah. I mean, but you've got some credits on here before you get to the man that are, are, I think, are are noteworthy. I mean, you you know, working on Garfield's Thanksgiving, you know, and then obviously the big one being Ferngully, you know, that. Yeah, that was actually after, you know, what I'm talking about is not Lion King or uh, or Prince and the Pauper. Okay. I'm talking about as a college student. Um. We all, a bunch of us, like, rented a house in Newhall, California, near, like, in ranch territory. Okay. And, uh, and we needed summer jobs. So, uh, so we were all just desperately trying to find summer work. And so this is, like, 19, about 1986. Uh, okay. 85 or 86. And so I was going around looking for summer work and, Disney said, we need you to help us make sport goofy soccer mania. And that was a, 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 a piece they didn't even know whether it was going to be for TV or for the, the big screen. They were going back and forth on what to do with it, but they needed to get it done. Right. And, uh, and so I ended up literally picking up freelance work from that um, and cleaning up Kirk Wise's animation. And Kirk Wise then went on to direct Beauty and the Beast. Right, Ooh. right. Okay, well that okay then that someone needs to update your IDB, IMDb. I'm just saying, oh. but that's beside the point. Yeah. 
Okay. But um, that's not your own you. Someone should be doing that for you at this point. But anyway. <laughs> no, but that's that's awesome then. I mean, they, like Rico said, you just shoot for the stars and they're they're giving an opportunity. So that That's my argument. I keep like yeah. hitting up Mark Hamill to come on the show. He doesn't respond, but I can't. Oh, what, does he, he comes into the store? No, I just tweet at him. Oh, okay. I've All tweeted right. at celebrities and sometimes it's worked. All right, yeah. I mean, yeah. We, did you ever see the movie Clerks? Uh, I know the poster. I know the poster. All right, so there's there's a couple actors that are in Clerks that we've had on the show. Okay. And that's that's kind of how, that's sort of how the inspiration for Pot of Stew is that you were asking earlier. <sighs> <sighs> The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a lounge singer to be their office receptionist. Hello, this is Mickey Marquis, and you've reached the office of Doug and Associates. <laughs> Thank you very much. Catch me Tuesday nights at the Hotel Johnson. Hello? But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Doug and Associates, this is Mickey Marquis. Hello? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. How we, how we started this thing. Um, we were both fans of Kevin. We are both fans of, uh, Kevin Smith, the filmmaker. Okay. And we just, he, we were on a Facebook group saying like the world of Kevin Smith. And he made a post saying, I want to do another podcast. He and I have never met. We've never physically met. This is, oh. this is all of our interactions is through Skype and through texting. Well, and which phone leads calls. me to my question. How did you guys end up working together? We, he made a post on, on this Facebook group. Uh, and he said he wanted to do a podcast and I, I was doing my own separate YouTube channel called Rico's Rants, which was basically my own form of self therapy where, you know, have a couple drinks, chain smoke and just talk about what <laughs> I wanted to talk about. Uh, it was basically like that asshole at the bar who just wants a friend. Uh, That's who I was. I okay. just didn't have anybody around me. So I talked to the camera and then, so I sent him a couple of those videos very like, this is what I do. Take me or leave me. I wasn't trying to sell myself, which incidentally, uh, the running joke is, is that's how I got my girlfriend. And I just didn't shoot. I just, uh, I just said, this is who I am. Just being yourself. Just be myself. Yeah. So that's how we met. He likes, uh, the videos I sent him and then we did a rough kind of, let's talk to each other, get to know each other. And then we did a rough, uh, a, a pilot basically. And, uh, we got a knack for each other and then we just said, all right, let's just try and, Let's try and see what happens. That was a year and a half ago. Year and a half and 68 episodes ago. Yeah. Wow. Like, we've been doing this for a year and a half. Um, And, you know, he he and I have become very close buddies. And that's the ultimate irony. It's like, this is like like a pen pal that you're close to, but you've never met your pen pal. You yeah. Know? So yeah, it's yeah. like, we've, we've done that. He and I keep joking. Like I, I need to go to Jersey. He needs to come to California. We just got to meet up. And when we do, we're going to like record like five episodes, just like in person because right. who knows when the next time will be. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, San Francisco is kind of like a lumpy Jersey with palm trees. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, 
pretty good assessment. I would, I would agree with that. I mean, I've never been to Jersey. I've seen a lot of Jersey films, but yeah, no, but there is, there is a very tight connection. I mean, you know, New Jersey is, um, but first of all, just culturally, there's a, just a lot of Italian. There's just a lot of crossover between yeah. the two areas. So you, you would not feel out of your uh, zone around here. Well, I don't know because, again, I'm from the southern half of the state. So I, I don't know that it's exactly the same, but I get what you're saying for sure, Doug. Um, but you're small enough. You've had to deal with a ton, ton of northern New Jersey people. If I could avoid going north of Trenton, I do my best. To to really well, what what changes for you that's like it, icky? I, I it's not even that I I kind of I I mess with the state, but there there was a petition. You'll appreciate this, dog. I think being a, a former uh, resident of the state, but there was actually a petition on the 2008 election. I think to actually have this state split into two, North Jersey and South Jersey. We've always been talking about that, like yeah. same with California. Literally the same. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. see, with California, it makes sense because you take up the whole coastline. We're like, you know, you know, we're just yeah. blip. I know it's a little. It's just like, what are we going for to try to be smaller than Rhode Island? Right. Yeah. Right. Like, hey, great, you achieved like the your winner and a fucking loser. Good job. Yeah. You're still Jersey. <laughs> Calm down. Right. Like, right. I think so, Jersey. I think, I think the sign saying "Welcome to Jersey" is just "Welcome to Jersey." Get the fuck out. I know, but let's just be honest. Like Jersey invented. The light bulb, Jersey invented yep. Hollywood, Jersey yep. invented Jerry Lewis. I mean, yep. it goes Lou, on. Lou Costello, Frank right. Sinatra, Kevin Smith. I mean, yeah, Meryl, did Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson. Yeah, uh, he's from Neptune. Right, the boardwalk. They invented, Jersey invented the boardwalk. Jersey had more fights, uh, battles for the Revolutionary War than any other state. Yeah, in a sense, Jer- Jersey carried the entire more of the war than any, anybody else, which means you know they get the credit. And New Jersey was the capital of the United States for a while. Nobody knows I, that. Yep. I was going to say that. You beat me to it, but Camden was the capital for a brief period. Yeah. So. There you go. Yep. I feel suddenly out of my fucking depth when it comes to Jersey. Like, <laughs> see? like I'm like, I, I've watched The Sopranos. That's set in Jersey. Uh, Does that qualify? You got no. stuff to study and learn, see? <laughs> you um, know a lot about Jersey, but you also know a lot of, like, off off screen, CJ, he was he was beginning to tell me some like Hollywood stories. So you brought up Nicholson. So why don't you yeah. bring Nicholson up? Oh, I got to okay, hear well, this. So, well, first of all, just to connect it with animation, Jack Nicholson was supposed to be Hades for Hercules. I Hold on. I, I heard it was him. There was also John Lithgow. There was also, I want to say like William H. Macy was a contender. or uh, There were some contenders, but but it was really designed to be Jack Nicholson. Okay. And, uh, but then still the animation style, he looked like how he did the model. It was, the face was designed to sort of fit him. And okay. I mean, you, there, there's always legal questions about like, you can't make it too exact or then you're going to pay. Let's be fair. Hades looks like James Woods. He does. There's a, yeah. And you know what? There's always that that gets in there. And then the question is how much of it is the sh- shape of the head or, you know, nose or eyes, mm-hmm. and how much of it is the animators infusing it with the personality? So you got to really look carefully for that. Well, we, I want to touch back on that in a, in a couple minutes, but go back to Jack. Jack. Anyway, so Jack, um, who is also from New Jersey, as we said, he, um, he, uh, is coincidentally, um, 
he was a friend of my uncle's uh, because my uncle in the sixties came out to LA to get an advertising. And I think they ended up in like some scrub league together. They got to know each other uh, and became buddies. So before they were either one of them had any huge success. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so and I didn't know my uncle until the eighties when I came out to LA. So he was the legendary Hollywood uncle we had, Harry Giddis, who was like one of the beloved guys of Hollywood. He was like the nicest guy in Hollywood for to, to many people. I can't, I don't know what everybody thought of him, but honestly, I have only heard good things. I, when you read like the Hollywood dirt books that come out, he always comes out smelling good. I don't know how he, how he did it. <laughs> hey, I don't know how he does it. Doug, not to interrupt you, but how do you, how do you spell that last name? Cause I'm curious. I want to look him up real quick while you're talking. Uh, uh Harry Gittes, G-I-T-T-E-S. All right. And, got you know, it. He, Thank you. He produced The Girl Next Door. He ended up producing a bunch of movies. Um, he produced Harry and Walter Go to New York. He produced Going South starring Jack Nicholson. Yep. Um, and they were really good buddies. And they were such good buddies that when Jack Nicholson was cast in Chinatown, uh, he said, you know, I want my character named for my buddy. So he, that's why he's named Giddis. Okay. Yeah, T-T-E-S. And, and, and the story in my family was that our family named Giddis was nobody could ever pronounce it because they would want to say Giddies or Gittes or <laughs> Gits. And so they carried that joke into Chinatown and that nobody ever knew how to say Jack Nicholson's character's name. So they, everybody says it differently in the movie. Um, anyway, so Jack Nicholson was a friend of the family, legendary friend as I'm growing up because I'd never been to California or met my uncle. And so when I finally got to, to uh, you know, applied to Cal Arts and got there. Uh, I just sort of was thinking, you know, hey, well, it'd be kind of fun to go over to Jack's house. And my, my <laughs> uncle was always like, yeah, yeah, right, right. I figured he meant like, you know, never going to happen. And so then one day I'm at his house. And my uncle lived on Mulholland or just like two houses in from Mulholland Drive. Um, and uh, that's the, the famous winding street that up in the hills that splits yeah you know the infamous valley from the infamous uh hollywood santa monica zone it's a bit it's a it's notorious yeah. because there was three legends that lived there within close proximity of each other it was nicholson it was brando and it was warren Beatty. i think warren Beatty still lives there yeah and and they were known as the bad boys of Mulholland drive so <laughs> you're you're visiting uh your uncle. Yeah, I'm busy my uncle, and I'm just at his house, and uh, he gets a call, and he's like, blah, 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 just, you know, whatever. And then he goes like, I don't know. He goes, Jack, I don't know if I can do it. I got my, I got my nephew here. And he hangs up, and I'm like, which Jack was that? And he goes, <laughs> Nicholson. And he goes, he, he, he wants me to come over for the Laker game, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'll go. And then I said, well, you, you know, you should go. I, I'll, I'll head home. And he goes, all right, well. Uh, all right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go over there. Uh, you can come with me unless you have something better to do. What could be fucking better, uh, right? Than Jack Nicholson. Like anything you had, if you had plans, you're like fuck that. Yeah. Well, so I, you know, I very calmly said, uh, "Let me think." Uh, all right, I'll, I'll go. I try to keep my cool. Yeah, inside you're <laughs> freaking out. Let's be you're like I want to see Jack Torrance. I want to see yeah. The Shining. Yeah. So, uh, so. 
so we get in my my uncle's uh, convertible bug, and we're just driving down Mulholland Boulevard, and he goes, "Look, I just got to tell you something. This is not Skinny Jack. You're going to see. He's just finished a movie, and he had to put on a lot of pounds for the movie because it's his character. So he's not going to look, you know, at his best." And I'm like, well, "I don't care what he looks like, because it, it, he had just uh, finished Terms of Endearment." Where he had to, he was supposed to play oh. an over-the-hill astronaut, so he was required for his role to get fat, basically. And so uh, we drive up to his house and um, and uh, pull in the gate, and it's dark, so I can't even tell what's going on. I don't, I don't know what's where, but uh, but small house, uh, from what I could tell. And Jack just answers the door and lets. He was like, "Hey, good to see you," and I shake his hand and I'm. I'm thinking this is, this is this is a little crazy, and uh, we go in, and he's like, "Watch, just watch the." My uncle goes, "Don't you know? Watch the paintings. Like, don't knock into them with your shoulders, because we're going through the back hallway, almost like a delivery entrance, but in the back hallway we're like, you know, Picassos and stuff." So, it, you would say the house looks less like you would expect for a Nicholson home, like it was, yeah, it's not a grand thing. It's it, just it, very bungalow very, type very, thing. Anyway. So the bottom line is, I uh, Jack says, like, "What what can I get you?" And I, I'm like, "This is fun. I'm I believe I'm being served by Jack Nicholson." So I said, <laughs> "What can I I'd get li- you?" I'd like a ginger ale since I am underage. You were underage. I was 20. Oh my god. Yeah. So he got me a ginger ale, which I proceeded to sit down in his entertainment like high tech console room, and I spilled <laughs> I spilled a little ginger ale on the couch. <laughs> And so oh. I, immediately sat, I sat on the stain, hoping you wouldn't see. And, uh, and then the night just went on like in a little bit of a surreal way. Like there were just, I could run through these five beats that would make you think like, yeah, this isn't totally normal. Like, um, games going on. I try to bond with them over New Jersey. I accidentally say, you know, Jersey's, not, you know, a little run down these days, your parts. And he's like, I don't think so. I'm like, oops. <laughs> <laughs> you're pissing Jack off at his house. Yeah, the, you spilled ginger ale. You talk shit about his neighborhood, right. like. And then, and then, uh, there's this this guy comes in and he lays down on the floor in front of my feet. I'm like, God, this guy on my feet is like this homeless guy. Jack lets anybody in. And, <laughs> uh, and but the more I look at his face, it looks so familiar. Like I've seen it before. Well, you think you know I think I know who this is. Take a guess. I don't remember the actor's name, but I know he was a good buddy of Jack, and he was in the movie Batman. Well, he was in like every movie. He's a great character actor that everybody knows his face. Is he the guy who played Bob in Batman? Like he's like the Joker's henchman. He's Harry Dean Stanton. That oh, Harry Dean Stanton. I was yeah. I was going for another guy. No, yeah, he was going for a completely Harry different guy. Dude, Harry Dean Stanton is just sitting at your feet. Yeah, he's laying on the floor. I'm like, okay, That's I got to kick him. Got to be careful not to kick him. By the way, rest in peace, Harry Dean Stanton. Um, yes, yeah, good guy, really good guy. And then Jack actually got angry at one point because the screen, the door, back door was open, the screens closed, and then all of a sudden there's a scratching going on on the screen, and and Jack just like because with the Laker games on, he's trying to focus, and he looks at the screen, he goes, God damn it! I'm like, what? What's he so mad at? Really? God damn, Brando's cat! How many times do I have to tell him? <laughs> <laughs> oh That's my awesome. god! So he like scared away Brando's cat, <laughs> and 
I'm just thinking, <gasps> well, I, you know, yeah. maybe it's not Brando, but it's Brando's, it's Brando's cat. cat. Kind of cool to meet his cat. It must definitely. Be I would have loved to see, I mean, I was not a, I'm not a big fan of Brando. I always kind of felt he was a little overrated, but like, just, I would have liked to see his cat just to see him go, meow. Yeah, exactly. Meow. Exactly. Meow. But meow. anyway, so, uh, so that was a fun night. Um, well, who else fucking walked in? Bill Murray just like deliver mail like the rest of the what else? You have Harry Dean Sadden, you got Brando's yeah. cat, you're sitting with Jack Nicholson, you spilled ginger ale. Yeah, yeah. Jack Nicholson's giving you shit. Well, <laughs> I know, I know. He was, he was, uh, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have dissed, uh, Manasquan. No. He, that's where he went to high school. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I felt qualified because we used to go to Man- Manasquan all the time for our summer vacations. And, you know, so I knew Manasquan. I wasn't like imagining Manasquan. Right. You were just telling him. You were telling him like the truth. Like it's a little, little run down. And so anyway. because he left. Right. But I was very proud of Jack for you know in his own way sticking up for Jersey. So Jersey but, represent. But that Damn is not right. my, my. That's not my best Hollywood story. Okay. I do have. I have one that actually is. Uh, you you have it. to. You say that, and then you you have to go into it. You can't just leave it hanging there. Yeah. yeah. All right. I will tell you the my uh, my Lauren Bacall story. Lauren Bacall. Yes, I have a Lauren Bacall story. I'm intrigued. I love Lauren Bacall. Um, I do too. I think she is the greatest. And uh, so, and the, she, the original, uh, what's her name? Uh, Catherine. Uh, what was I'm, I'm, ignore me. Go well, ahead. You're going to compare her to another actress. Well, there was How another. Dare you compare her to another actress? Well, I mean, there was she. There's that actress who was like in. Um, uh, crimes of passion and and uh, what's her name? Catherine something something. No. no, um, I'm, I'm fucking. Right. She I looked it. like Lauren Bacall. Like she even introduced herself to Lauren Bacall as like, "Hi, I'm the new you." Wow, that's a little ballsy. That's what I'm saying. Like, um, you, Rico, are you talking about Kathleen Turner? Kathleen Turner. Oh, thank you. All yeah. right, okay. they they look right. alike, they sound alike, and like well, she they do. Gonna, they have the they have that sort of voice, that, like resonant. That voice. husky yeah. kind of throaty, smoky voice. Mm-hmm. So she introduced herself to Lauren Bacall as "I'm the new you." Did Lauren Bacall was she okay with that? She was like, I mean, I think I'm the old me, <laughs> right? <laughs> but that leaves room for the new me, right? So maybe they got along. I don't know. All right, all right I, so I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Well, all right. This is a, this is a fun story because it sounds like I'm making it up, but I have witnesses. You had Harry Dean standing at your feet and you spilled ginger <laughs> yeah. ale on, on Nicholson's I know. Couch. Yeah. Anything you say, I'm just going to believe at this point. Yeah, I'm well, with Rico on this one. Yeah, I'm with Rico. All right, so here it is. Um, I uh, I had always been a Lauren Bacall fan. And um, and so this is, I don't even remember what year it is. It's somewhere between 2000, uh, sorry, somewhere between 19... 90 and 19 oh god well it's in the 90s and so we're living in toluca lake california and uh and uh i uh i i was a fan of lauren bacall and she was doing a book signing in a bookstore in beverly hills and i thought i my mom's birthday's coming up uh my mom probably i didn't know what to get her so i thought why don't i get go to the bookstore and this is the infamous bookstore i forget the name of it where all the legends will go when they want to get their do their book signings. Okay. And uh, so it's like right at the corner of Rodeo Drive and Wilshire Boulevard. Um, so uh, 
So I tell Leslie, my wife, I'm going to this thing. She's like, I'll go with you. And we go, we, we go to buy the Lauren Bacall's book and get it signed. So as we park, it's dark. Uh, we're, we're walking toward the corner and I'm thinking like, Oh my God, look who's, look who is passing us up. And, uh, it was, wait, let me get this right. No, no, no. Uh, that was after. Okay. I go into the bookstore. Lauren Bacall is at the desk. There's a big line. And so I am, I am thinking, okay, I got to get her to, to personalize this. Do you know, happy birthday, Marge. That's my mom's name. So I'm waiting in line. I finally get up to the desk and Lauren Bacall's sitting there and I put the book down and I say, Lauren, I just want, you know, uh, my mom's a big fan of yours. Uh, so I'm getting this for her birthday. Could you sign this to her? And Lauren goes, Oh, listen, I got to tell you, I'm moving fast for these. I'm not doing any personalized signings. And I said, you got it. You got to sign it to, to, to Marge. Just, just say to Marge, happy birthday. And she goes, I got, I got to, I can't set a bad precedent. I got to be fair to everybody. And I said, Lauren, she's like your biggest fan. And she, this would mean the world to her. I mean, I don't have anything else to give her for her birthday. This is it. And Lauren looks at me like, give me the book. So she <laughs> takes the book and she signs it. And I'm so grateful. I'm suddenly feeling like complimenting her. So I said, you know, you do have the most awesome voice in film history. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, uh, thank you for that. And I said, no, I mean it. I'm in animation and your voice would be gold in an animated feature. And she goes, really? And I said, have you ever thought about doing voices for animation? And she goes, no, I can't say I've thought about that. And I said, well, I am telling you, I'm working at Warner Brothers because at the moment I was, which is sort of. And now the weather. Expect partly cloudy skies with an excellent chance of maximum refunds. Wait, that can't be right. Oh, but it is. Who are you? I'm April. And we could see refunds raining down all tax season with people switching to Tax Act. Tax Act? The tax filing software that makes it easy to file for less and get more. New forecast. It's sunny days ahead for everyone using Tax Act. Always happy to brighten your day. Tax Act. Switch to Tax Act today and start for free. See taxact.com for details. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. For the lucky little connecting point, because, you know, or movies, Warner Brothers. So I said, um, I think you should do, I'm going to put in a good word for you because we got to get your voice into animation. And she goes, you're going to put a good word in for me? And I said, I am. And she goes, you do that with like a sort of a chuckle. Because <laughs> I was like, you know, a little punk and she's yeah. Lauren Bacall. <laughs> she's like, I married Bogart. What are you right, doing? Right. Like, <laughs> so, I, so I'm like, I'm putting in a good word for you, Lauren. She says, you do that. And I said, all right, and thanks so much for personalizing it. And she was just like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So as we walk out, I'm telling Leslie, I can't believe she hasn't thought, never thought about doing her voice uh, for animation. And uh, we leave the bookstore and we see this guy walking at us like a like Captain Ahab. And I'm like, who is this guy? He looks like Captain Ahab. And it was, in fact, Gregory Peck. I was just about to say, is it Gregory Peck? Yes, and he's walking with this 
his cane. And as we're leaving the bookstore, I hear him walk in and go, Betty. And she goes, Greg. And they were like so warm and happy to see each other. And she said, like, it's been so long. Anyway, that was just a good moment. But the capper is the next day I am crashing in bed. We turn the light out. Leslie's like, TV or no TV? I said, TV. We turn on the TV and it's, uh, Jay Leno. And, uh, he says, so Betty, how's your, how's things going? And Lauren Bacall is the guest. And, and she goes, well, things are going fine. And he goes, you got anything new cooking? Anything special? And she goes, not really, Jay. Uh, and then she goes, to tell you the truth, I've just started thinking about doing some voices for animation. <laughs> wow. And I, and I start hitting Leslie and Leslie's half asleep. I'm like, Leslie, Leslie. And she opens her eye and she goes, yeah, don't worry. I heard it. I'll back you up when you tell this story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You said that was on Leno. Yeah. He's going to try and find it. I um, got to find that now. Yeah. Um, I, I've, but I've had uh, trouble finding that one. I'll do what I can. But that said, I just want to try to help you with your story. Not that I was there or anything. Was it the Phoenix bookstore? Is that you? Because based on the streets you gave, I think that's the one. It's, I believe it is like on Wilshire, just at, near the corner of Rodeo Drive. It's Oh, near Rodeo. Okay. I was at Beverly in Wilshire. Hold on. I'll find it. Oh, Rodeo. And I'm not sure if the bookstore is still in business. Right. What if, if it's got a, if it's got a, legend you know attached to it it may they there may have been an article or something about it yeah did did uh and, and by the way by the way if I, i've always told this story almost positive it was jay leno we were both kind of sleepy but you can also check letterman there's a possibility it was letterman that, that okay lauren bacall, well did lauren bacall ever do animation then afterwards yes. she started doing animation. i yeah. got her i have her imdb up she hasn't done a lot but the the two biggest things rico that i have here are she from 2008. She did Scooby Doo and the Goblin King, and she's been on Family Guy. Oh, fucking classic Goblin King! Oh, that's the best one. Yeah, you uh, know. Um, so she dipped her toe oh, in animation. She didn't. Yeah. She didn't. And I, she, I like to think I helped her out. I, I would agree. I think you 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 planted that seed. Yeah, she for her to do Goblin King. She did do Howl's Moving Castle, which for anime anime fans, that's a big title. So that's that's kind of big. So that probably be yeah, that's definitely her biggest thing. Um, but what I think she she went on to do something in the '90s that was shortly after I had had that conversation with her. Um, uh, and well, in '99 she did Madeline, Lost in Paris. Wasn't that a lot? Yeah. Was that animation or there's yeah yeah okay. it's, it's I, animation? Yeah, I think that was yep. I think that was the one that followed my our meeting with her. Okay, yeah, because that's really the first. Was, anime thing she did from what i can see so it's i say that people were when they would listen to her voice they thought it was kathleen turner maybe maybe um because because kathleen turner had just gotten like she just did uh jessica rabbit so there was that oh that husky seductive voice it's either bacall or kathleen turner yeah 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 but that's that's a fucking amazing story Donna. it really is yeah um i so i do i don't know if it tops Nicholson yeah. and Harry Dean Stanton. Really? It does for me because it's like three acts. Oh. There's the let's go to the bookstore, then you meet her, 
and then Kachow. It's on TV. It, oh, it's I'll, definitely I'll a short. A yeah, I think. I want there to be a, a PS where like you got her the job and you helped animate her. Well, that's what I that would no, been. but I have a, I do have a Holly Hunter story, which is that I was I was working on Emperor's New Groove, and my big thing was we got to get Holly Hunter for the voice, got to get her for the voice, and uh, I made a big pain in the ass of myself pushing the production to get the voice, and finally uh, they couldn't take it anymore, and they said, <laughs> "Look, we brought her in, we auditioned her, and she wasn't right for the part. What can we tell you?" And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll keep quiet from now on. At least you gave it a shot. And you're like, thank you. So fast forward to Incredibles 2, which I'm animating. And uh, I'm sitting in, <laughs> sitting in the screening room. We're going over a scene because I was animating uh, Mrs. Incredible, who is the voice of Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter is the voice of – yeah, okay. Right. And, uh, and so uh, – I I never disagree with Brad Bird on a scene, basically. I mean, almost never ever. One of the, this is one of the few times where we just weren't seeing eye to eye exactly on what to do with with uh, Helen, Mrs. Incredible. And so we start going back and forth, like, and it was it it got to the point where all the animators were actually out of the screening room. Now this is like a post review discussion we're trying to figure this out in the dark with me brad and like five other people in the room it's dark and we couldn't figure out whether she, she's in the limousine with the family and we couldn't figure out whether she should look at mr incredible or look at violet or where should she look for this shot because uh, it's all so crowded and you're just going to bump noses and mm -hmm. and uh so brad's like well look and he, he kind of gave a huff and then the producer said, look, if you guys can't decide, why don't you just ask Holly? We're like, uh, okay. And then he goes, she's right here. And it was literally like some kind of – like someone had beamed her into this dark room and she's <laughs> sitting next to me on the couch. And so I'm like, what are you doing here? And even Brad looked at her and he said, this is so surreal. And she goes, well, you just keep me waiting outside forever and it got boring. So <laughs> – they had That's her like, awesome. waiting out in some other part of the studio, and she was like, "Well, let me just like sitting in the review at least and see what's something on the screen." And so we said, "So we said, well, Larry, well, what do you think we should do with her, Holly?" And Holly was like, "Don't ask me. This whole thing's a mystery to me. You guys decide." And so that was now. That's almost the end of the story. The real end of the story is as we're walking out. Brad's like, "Well, come on, we could we could chat." We could all chat, meaning like we could talk with Holly as we're heading to the next thing. So I'm walking with Holly and I'm like, I got to bring up this Emperor's New Groove thing. Mm -hmm. Cause, and I was like, Holly, I just want you to know, I really was pushing for you, uh, years ago as the voice for Chicha on Emperor's New Groove. I really thought you were, would have been perfect for it. Uh, even though Wendy Malik did a great job, but before I'd even thought of Wendy Malik, uh, or Disney had thought of Wendy Malik, I was pushing for you. And she goes, Oh, well, thanks. Thanks so much. And I go, and I said, the annoying part was that, you know, that first they were resisting it, but I do want to apologize because they, you know, the way they brought you in for the audition and then they didn't, they didn't go for you. I think they should have gone for you. And I said, you know, I mean, unless they were lying about it. And she looked at me and she looked really sympathetic and she goes, I got to tell you something. They were lying to you about it. Oh. <laughs> you know, they never brought me in. Oh, <laughs> oh goes, man. 
brought me in for that. And that's how you find things out in Hollywood. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I, yeah. Well, and then I, we just get to like, we watch the movie. We're like, Hmm, Holly Hunter would have been good in this role. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, doing great. I have a question I have to ask because I, I'm really curious about this because you have done obviously hand drawn animation and now working on Pixar, which is primarily, if not completely computer animated. And I'm wondering what is the biggest difference besides the obvious of computer versus, you know, cells to doing the different types of animation and which one do you prefer? Um, well, it's funny. This is like we're actually all evolving as artists with the technology. Sure. So we were all very reticent about about uh, computers originally. I mean, most of us, almost all of us. Some animators wouldn't even allow a computer in their office or, or didn't want to touch it when it first got introduced in um, for uh, Pocahontas, I think it was, to in order to shoot our drawings so that we could add, have a little down shooter and we would shoot, and then you could change the timing on the computer, which was a whole new thing. Right. Um, 1995. So, so we loved paper. We loved the feeling of it and the sound and the flipping. And p- even to this day, if, if a Pixar, new Pixar animator hears flipping, like they've come into my office and they'd be like, did I hear what I thought I heard? <laughs> like, was that flipping? I've seen that on like videos. You know, wow. I know it's like really disturbing. Is there a dead tree in here? (laughs) I think we as artists, uh, it's hard not to start liking the computer as it becomes, you know, more, uh, user friendly and you get pressure sensitivity and maybe people that want texture can lay down Mm. this sort of vellum over the screen. And there's all these things that make it more comfortable for artists. And then the fact that you can change up things so easily means that, like, even at Pixar, artists that would never do storyboards on computer, when I got there, they're, like, all doing storyboards uh, on Photoshop now. Um, right. So, but the big thing is directors still miss the the, the feeling of looking at a wall of, of uh, board storyboard drawings pinned up because – if you're not clicking through, but you're looking at a whole wall, you, your eye can jump back when you want to check something as a director. Like, like, hang on a second, and you just pop your eye back to a drawing that was, you know, another part of the wall, and and you you can't do that when you're just clicking through a slideshow, you know, one image at a time. So I think there's a movement to try to figure out how to get go back to that sort of ability. I don't know what whether that's you know, a giant screen where you, on the uh, a whole wall that's a screen, and or or um, some way to like click out of it and you know see all panels for a second. But, but right. that's you know there there there's always like what do you lose, what do you gain, and then how do you balance it? So at this point, I think computers have won the argument that overall artists that used to be really staunch paper people are i think there are won over by the computer for the most part now okay i i have a follow-up rico but if you have something i don't want to interrupt you but no no go for it i i'm curious doug i mean at this point all we see is cgi type animation you know whether it be like you know ratatouille cars you know 
Wreck-It Ralph, that style of animation, which they're all great. We we enjoy them, but do you think the days of hand-drawn are done? Do you, do you think we'll ever see a full-length hand-drawn feature like that again? Uh, yes, I do think so. Um, I mean, it, it, it's it's going to be a special event, you know, that kind of right, thing. right. But uh, but the boutique side of it will never go away because you know it's like TV and cinema didn't kill plays, right? Um, and even Pixar as a as a studio that loves to put have little bits of two D in in their stuff now and then or do a short that's two D, right? Um, and the credits are, are, are very often a lot of 2D animation. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, you know, yeah, credits, um, at the end of like Incredibles or. Right. Ratatouille, uh, hanging on the wall back there. The, the animation in the credits there is all 2D, if I recall. Yes. Yeah. I think Wally, I think. Wally and mine. I, it's been a while since I've seen Wally. Yeah, me too. I, if my, my, uh, for my, I think I'm trying to remember this. I think you worked on technically the last 2D full-length animation film, which was oh. Home on the Range. Except for uh, Princess and the Frog came after. Yeah, but oh. that came out after Rigo. He didn't work on it, but he's right. Yeah. Okay. Home, Home on the Range was the last of the of the you know what do we call the contiguous 48 contiguous states? So there's. The, <laughs> contiguous animation uh, history of Disney and Home on the Range would be the end of that. Okay. Yeah. Because they, they, they got got rid of all the 2D animators or at least the 2D department shut down for the first time ever. Uh, and so it was dead and gone. And then Frog and Princess and the Frog was an attempt to like, you know, resurrect desks and equipment and rehire people to One try last to bring hurrah. it back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Rico, just for a time frame for you, the Home in the Range was 2004, Princess and the Frog was 2009. So he's oh. right, there's that last that last I, hurrah. I apologize, I haven't seen either. <laughs> um, uh, no, that's not true. I did see the Princess and the Frog. I just sort of, it was, it was playing at work and it was sort of, one of those movies like, let's put on, you know, kids movie, background kind of stuff um i promise i'll watch it <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it's got good stuff in it i don't think it, it's probably ranked as you know one of the great classics but it was uh it was a sincere effort to and they brought back a lot of good people um they had uh andreas deja and eric goldberg and, and a lot of great people on it so mm-hmm. there is good stuff to see in it oh no i i'm always been interested in seeing it. it's just Sitting down watching yeah, it. Yeah. But what? to reiterate, I also did rewatch a couple of the films that you've worked on before. Like, I did rewatch Emperor's New Groove, which is so goddamn underrated. Yeah, it uh, is. It's so yeah. underrated. I, I think, let me ask you if you guys agree with this, but as a, as a Looney Tunes guy, uh, I feel that it is the funniest animated feature Disney's ever put out. Um, I would I would agree. You with, don't have to agree. I, I want to hear what you guys think. Look, my my one exception is I think Robin Williams as the genie is yeah. funnier than anything that any no offense is funnier than anything else that could have come out. I think I'm speaking from my own child. Oh, this is interesting. I, my own childhood yeah. is that Robin Williams like there were there were movies, Disney movies and animation films that like set my childhood. But and you go ahead. No, to to 
Doug's point, though, because you're right, Rico, the, the genie is unprecedented and untouched, but that's a, that's a character within a movie that's, as a whole, not very funny. To Doug's point, The Emperor's New Groove as a overall movie, I think I have to agree with them, might be the funniest thing they've put out. Because it's from start to finish, pretty much comedy. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. By that, by that, by that demographic, I would agree that the Emperor's New Groove is probably the funniest before or since. I don't think there's really been anything of the standard Disney Renaissance classics films. Um, I mean, I would, I would say, I think some of the other later Pixar Disney Pixar films, I think, are probably just as funny. Like, I think. I think Toy Story is pretty funny. Um, I think Toy Story 2 is even funnier. Well, there's a question. How do you rate it? Do you rate it for the how deep are the laughs when they hit or how many laughs are they are, are they hitting you with? Like like this is where I always think Casablanca is the most underrated comedy in some ways that I've I've ever seen. I counted the laughs for myself, the chuckles at least, the okay. chuckles. And there were 50 of them for me in Casablanca, which means they were hitting it was like a, a a good one every minute or two, mm-hmm. like a couple minutes, and and then I go watch a comedy, and I wasn't getting hit with that many chuckles from movies that were billed as comedies. So Casablanca to me is the surprise comedy of the century, and <laughs> and so an Emperor's New Groove, that that's where I scored high is the, the number of gags. Well, the gags for sure. The fact that David Spade is playing a llama is just brilliant. And and John Goodman is always John Goodman. You know that guy's got a voice that's just, you know, he's the new generation's Epic. Phil Harris. If I if I would be as so right, well, because he also played Baloo. He did do Baloo, but like that was that was almost like, well, who the fuck else would play Baloo? Like yeah. Phil Harris. And dead. by the way, Greta Thunberg, who's been oh uh, Greta Thunberg, yeah, yeah, the thorn in in, in um Trump side. Trump side. Her grandfather was the voice of Shere Khan. Uh, George Sanders? No, he did the Swedish version. Oh, I was like, oh. <laughs> that's, but that's important movie. movie it history. is. That's that's good. That, you worked on three key movies for for me. Uh, it was The Lion King, mm-hmm. and I think one of you and I. You've been coming to the store a couple times at that point. I don't even remember how we struck up the conversation of that you did animation, or I knew you worked for Pixar. I didn't know you had worked for Disney, but then. I, I think I was just talking about the Lion King, mm-hmm. and and I said like Scar was like the most influential like villain that I'd ever seen. Oh yeah, wow. and you you basically said, oh well, thanks. And I'm like, what did you have to do with it? I'm like, oh, they think I should thank Jeremy Irons. Like, no, well, I did some of the animation for oh. Scar. Who am I? Naomi is the new hit series that's got all the buzz. You have power I have never felt before. Critics are calling it unbelievably charming. Captivating. A delight to watch. Casey Walpole couldn't be more perfect as Naomi. You ready? The question is, are you ready? Get ready to see why. I don't know what is happening to me. Are you a superhero? Superheroes aren't real. What if they are? Naomi, all new tonight on The CW. Tonight at 9, only on DCW 50. Washington CW. Yeah. And that was for me personally, like that was kind of like that was my Nicholson moment oh, for me, all right. because I was like, oh my god, like you <laughs> drew my childhood, right. you made me <laughs> terrified of of fucking <laughs> lion uh, that looked and I mean because I'm going throwing back to that what you said, which is 
you don't want to obviously animate the character to look like the the actor who's portraying the voice. But let's be honest, Scar looks like Jeremy Irons, and that's there's a resemblance. Yeah, there's there's a resemblance. Well, but you can also look at Scar and then look at Jafar, and they've head on. If you look at them straight. they look pretty yeah. similar. Yeah. You're right. Scar is just joking. Their even names are even really similar. It's just yeah, the Scar. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the... Called Jaskar. Jaskar, yeah. <laughs> it's the mouth. The mouth is over-extenuated by moving. Yeah. And you did that with, with the next film, with Ratcliffe, the villain in Pocahontas. Now, my question is... Well, what did I do with Ratcliffe? What are you saying I did with him? He has this... There is a, there is a similarity... Where the villain, whether it's Jafar, Scar, or or uh, Radcliffe, their mouth is over accentuated. Like every oh. syllable is exaggerated yeah. because it's animation; it has to be exaggerated too. We also have to make the villain well, look I got, grotesque. But I got credit with the, the the guys who designed those characters, like Andreas Deja designed Scar. Okay. So so those mouth shapes were already on the model sheets. I actually did. I contributed to a little bit of the model sheets, but for the most part, Andreas really. Did that okay? And so I was trying to honor what he did with the, his the way he drew the mouth shapes. Okay. And uh, and, the, and with Radcliffe, uh, Duncan Marjorie Banks was the guy who designed Radcliffe. Mm-hmm. So whatever, whenever I was like, okay, I'm going to animate Radcliffe, I'd swing by Duncan's office and I'd say, you know, I don't know how you would handle this particular like ooh. How would you? How would Radcliffe go ooh? And he'd like take a pencil. You do like a quick sketch, and I'd be like, "Really? That's how you do it?" And then he's like, "Yeah." And I, I would just try to stay true to that. So there, there's it, not to demean your your artistic talents in any yeah, way, yeah. but you are for those characters. It's not like this is how I'm drawing it. I just happen to draw like this. This you are adapting someone else's work. We all we all have to adapt to a consistency, and so and that doesn't mean that like we're all influencing each other. Mm-hmm. But we also do all have the point person we agree on for the character. So that means that if we're if we're not being consistent, we got to have somebody to turn to. Mm-hmm. And so, like for Scar, it was Andreas. There were there were five of us animating Scar. What would you say is the closest might have been six. animation that you you just free drawing from your own brain? Yeah. What was your style closely resemble? Like I know it's a hard question to answer, but like. When you free, like, I see drawings uh, uh, around your house. See, I drew Ivy right there. Yeah. So is that, is that your, is that how you typically draw or do you, are you finding yourself adapting to someone else's style? Um, well, for me, I mean, to be in animation, you have to adapt. We all have to adapt to right. uh, whatever the ultimate, what the director's asking okay. for. What's the look? Um, you know, but for, you know, like Eric Goldberg, he wasn't drawing in his style. He was adapting to um, uh, Hirsch. It was Hirschfelder's scarf, Gerald scarf. Uh, oh my God! See, I'm having a brain fart. That's all right. Uh, I think he was adapting to Hirschfeld. Uh, you know, the great New York Times caricature artist. You're talking about for Incredibles or for no for Aladdin, and uh, uh, so when he did the genie. If you'll notice oh. all these swoopy shapes, yeah, they were they were him trying to emulate a different cartoonist named Al Hirschfeld, um, and uh, Gerald Scarf. Okay, so so yes, um, 
Al Hirschfeld was the inspiration that uh, all the artists were trying to emulate when we were doing uh, when they were doing Aladdin, which I did not work on. Mm. Um, for Hercules, Gerald Scarf was the inspiration. So all the animators were trying to emulate Gerald Scarf, and and that can be that can be a good a good thing when you sort of say, okay, we're all, we're all looking at this one artist, because then at least for for two D animation, there's a way to come together and and try to um, search for consistency. Otherwise, you know, in CG, uh, you don't need that as much. You still need it because it's, if you start moving stuff around weird, it's going to look different. But but at least you're starting with basic shapes that are built into the model. And that's sort of like a head start on consistency. Okay. That makes sense? It's like, it's like you've, you're being given the race car, so you have to drive it. Mm-hmm. But the car's already built. With uh, 2D animation, you've got to – every animator has to kind of build a race car from scratch that they're going to move around. And so that's an extra challenge. Rico, yeah, there, it makes sense. Um, there's a look at the guy's animation style that he's talking about. Wow. Yes, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, I see it. So if you if you can sort of tell, like, think of some of the characters, and there will be plenty of this on Google, like Gerald Scarf uh, as the basis for um, Hercules. You'll, you'll be able to find that. Um, so you also worked on the Hunchback of Notre Dame, which for me, yeah. whereas Emperor's New Groove is the, I would agree. Now that I'm thinking more and more about it, I would say Emperor's New Groove is the most underrated and as well as the funniest Disney movie because it breaks the fourth wall. It's the animation's crazy and zany. Just the, the, just the little jokes like, you know, pull the lever, wrong, cronk, and then yeah. wrong lever. Why don't you even have that lever? Like shit like that oh, yeah. is what makes I it funny. The kit was so funny. Shh. Oh, Perfect so for that role, yeah. and Patrick Warburton as Kronk. Yeah, he's great. He was great. Oh uh, yeah, like he just has that. Big, I love that he's just like a chef. Yeah. He's just a he's just a cook who just happens to be a big bodyguard. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, pound for pound, Hunchback of Notre Dame is probably one of the darkest Disney films. Yes, it was. It was too dark in a way because, uh, at least for the tra- the trailers, made it look like a big party. Mm-hmm. So there, I think uh, it, it was it was definitely darker than the trailers, which might have thrown people. I mean, when I was a kid, it, it was definitely dark. I mean, the whole Frollo is obsessed with Esmeralda to the point where he's like, "If you don't sleep with me, I'm gonna burn you at the stake." Yeah, I and he's like consumed by Catholic guilt and shit. Yeah, and then the fucking gargoyles. Yeah. Like the gargoyles were at a little bit of levity, but like almost to the point where I'm like, this movie would have been almost like it's it's ninety five percent perfect as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, we but, we did argue about that. Like, okay, how do you find the levity? Are these guys too goofy, or or you know how much goofiness do we need? That is always an ongoing uh, debate in any movie, mm-hmm. like how to get the balance point between. The heavy and, and the light stuff. Do you ever work with the voice actors? Do you well, ever? I had to see- work with Winnie Malik. I had to work with Owen Wilson. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've had to work with some of them. So you worked with Tom Hills? No, no. Who <laughs> he voiced Quasimodo? You worked. Oh on Quasimodo. no, I didn't. I never met Tom Holtz on the, that production. Although I did actually just out of some bizarre situation, I had Thanksgiving dinner with him, which was what the. F- I know it's, it's well, a little weird. 
Yeah, you know that, what Charlie Hulse is? They, they, no, I don't off the top of my head, but... Dude, they, he's, he's Mozart in Amadeus. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I know who that he's is. giving dinner with fucking Wolfgang? Like, I, I did, I did, yes. I'll have to say that for... I have something I want to share with you, but before we get there, Doug, you have to come back at some time when you can, and because there's so much more here that we haven't even gotten to, I'm sure. We really talked about Pixar. Like we yeah. really barely even scratched the surface. Um, I we spent too much time talking about Jersey. <laughs> yeah, I, well, hey, you got to talk about Jersey, but um, no, I if I can get a little heavy for a minute because I think it's important. So last. This past Wednesday was actually the anniversary of my father's passing. He's been nine years now. And there's two Disney movies that really um, hit home for him. The first one was The Lion King, actually. He he had an obsession with that movie, but not in an unhealthy way. Just he, he loved that movie. There's something about it that just struck a chord for him. And he never explained it to me. And I never, sadly, was... Um, I never cared enough to ask until it was too late. Um, basically, is what it boils down to. What's that? Do Do you think it had something to do with just the father son relationship? I I I don't know. I I mean, it could. Doug, it could. I have no idea. But he he passed away from a a a unfortunately a lung condition, but he also had a form of Alzheimer. Um. So as he got. To the end, he he regressed quite a bit in his entertainment and what he enjoyed, and and it was almost exclusively animation. And huh. the last movie that we sat down and were able to enjoy together before he really started to go off off the edge was Ratatouille. So that movie holds such a place for me okay. that I I can't begin. It it is my hands down favorite. Disney, especially Pixar movie, because of yeah. that, and I, I will never not enjoy that movie. And being that you worked on it, I just really want to say thank you because you helped bring my father and I one of our last real good mm. moments together. And I, and I, I, I don't mean to get so heavy, but it's, I guess it's been on my mind anyway because of his anniversary being last week, and then we're sitting here talking to you and. I saw yep. that on your credits, and I I had to thank you. So, uh, well, I'm glad that it, it really um, was able to do that. Um, I know we all put a lot into it for trying to get sincerity into it, like meaning to make it meaningful. And if it could be meaningful to your dad in a way that brought you guys together, that's. Uh, and I had just lost my mom actually, uh, right as I was starting it. So, uh, oh, I kind of know where you're coming from. Yeah. It, it it just it it that movie is always going to be like number one for me, you know, regardless of what I enjoy. And and Rico will tell you, I enjoy a lot of the other movies. I own quite a few, but that one more than anything will always hold a spot. So, um, yeah. I want to give kudos to the director on that too. Brad Bird's the director of that. He had to jump in there and basically lay down the tracks in front of a moving freight train uh, <laughs> and. Because you know that we had lost the director that was setting it up, and so all of a sudden it was like Brad, who knows nothing about really French cooking or Paris, really, or and so he he has a big heart and uh, legitimately, like there's you know there's a lot of shallowness in Hollywood, but he's 
he's not that. He's a right. He's got a big heart. And he tried to put that into it. So I'm glad that he, your dad felt it. You know. Oh, he totally did, and and, and he loved it, and it's it, it it he had trouble like working the DVD player, so he would say to me all the time, like, "Come over and put a movie on," and almost every time he would pick Ratatouille. So we watched it ad nauseum, but it 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 in the best possible way. So, um, the director you're talking about is that Jan Pinkava? Is that the guy that left? I'm yeah, just curious. Yeah, Jan, Jan gets a lot of credit for setting up the movie. But then, uh, you know, the visions were diverging, and so he went his separate way from Pixar. But uh, they brought in Brad, who's exhausted from Incredibles. Mm-hmm. Sure. And uh, and uh, that was really crazy because it's like this guy who – I don't even know if he can cook scrambled eggs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he pulled it off because he is a, a sponge. He's like a – he's a savant. And, uh, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't hype himself as any sort of a, of a genius, but, but whatever he does, he's able to process things so fast, so efficiently and, and with such, um, uh, respect for the people around him. He's got an enormous, uh, loyal following and, uh, and it took that in order to pull off the movie. So that, yeah. there was a lot of love that went into the movie and, went toward the director and then the director put into the characters. We all put into the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and we loved, we loved the characters. So if that, if that comes through and your dad was able to, to, to grab onto the characters that, uh, that's meaningful for me to hear. Yeah, it, he definitely did. And then I did do too, for that reason. Can I ask real quick? Cause I know we're up against it at this point, but who did you work on, on that movie? Like what character was your primary focus? Uh, Colette mainly. I did Linguini. Okay. Uh, some Skinner. I did, I did some, uh, Colette's the, the woman. Yeah. Colette yeah. actually, that was my proudest contribution to Pixar because, um, I conceived of Colette. She did not exist until I mm. thought her up. Oh, awesome. I was helping out a story for a little bit and, uh, and we were, we were, we had no woman in the, in the kitchen. And I just thought, uh, this is, this is not, this is not right. It's actually accurate. There are, there were a ton of kitchens with no women, Sure, but, but you know, we needed a woman in there cause it's, you know, it's time. I want to sing that Brady Bunch song. When it's There's a story. When it's time, no, when it's time to change. Oh um, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I just, you know, I conceived of the, the bare bones of her with her, her, what she would look like and her name and their butts, her motorcycle and her, you know, meat station and that there, kind of stuff. But, there is but Brad, a, wrote, Brad really wrote it. There is a slight dirty joke in in with Colette. There uh, is slightly. Now, you and I talked about like again. We are on the last couple minutes, but you and I talked about how like there's this sort of this mild conspiracy theory that like the Pixar world is all interconnected. Yes, that it's yes. not intended to be that way. It just sort no. of like there's a it ton is. of coincidence. Yeah. But there are those people, like fans like me, that like kind of go through the film and be like, "Huh, that's a weird, that's that's a thing in the background, yeah. or that's a weird little inner side joke." Right. The right. joke that I'm and re- you're probably right half the time. You know, well, I mean, look, it was an inside joke, yes, but, but not a big, not a well planned universe. But there is a slight dirty joke right. with Colette when Linguini is trying to like not tell her the truth about the rat. 
but reveal he's, he says i have a little i have yes, a yeah yeah you we know what i'm talking knew. about we all knew what the the <laughs> what thing. We're, we're like you know we're big boys you yeah know. do you know what i'm talking about cj girls, yeah girls. yeah so <laughs> we knew for, for me i was like oh my god like it's a pixar film it's a kids movie but like geez. basically you back yourself into a corner yeah like you just you write something uh, and maybe you're like, oh shit, this kind of looks, this sounds like that. <laughs> then you have a decision, like, should I roll with it? Should we enjoy the fact that there's that? Should we? And she looks should down. we delete it? You know. And so then you're like, what the hell? And you just go for it. And then and then scavengers <laughs> like me like find it. And we're like, oh, that's yeah. a that's a dick joke right there in, in a Pixar film. Well, yeah, and- but it's, is not deliberately absolutely meant to be that, but we're not idiots. Like we know people are going to joke about it. Right. Of course. But see, Um, if I could, cause I, and again, I know we're close to the end here, but I, I would say that I, and I've had conversations with other people about this where the thing that's great about Pixar films is it, it, they're obviously meant for the kids primarily. However, there are moments like that throughout these movies that make it, appealing to the adults so that the parents of these kids that have to take the kids to the theater aren't just sitting there for an hour and a half bored out of their minds. No, it should be a ton for the parents. That's yeah, exactly. Case for a good one for a good one. Yeah. yeah. My brother is, is, is the same age as he, my brother's 10 years older than me. He loves Ratatouille. He watches Ratatouille with his kids. I got yeah. nephews that are six and four and they love Ratatouille. Yeah. Brad's not right. Look, Pixar's not doing this for kids. We're doing it, and this is like the old wall, like a cliche almost now, but it's not, which is that if you do this for the universal in all of us, you know, you could say the kid in all of us, but it's not, sure. it's deeper than that because it's, it's really the universal in all of us. Then what you're doing is you're finding a way to get the, the, bo- the, the foundation of it. So the buy, you get buy-in from all ages and then you sprinkle in all the extra stuff for the adults. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's that is the, that's an inspirational fucking quote. I think we should end right there. Yeah, I think we should. CJ here with a few thank yous and let you know how you can get in touch with and follow the show and us. If you want to agree with or yell at us, follow Rico, me, and the show on Twitter. The show is at Podeskew, Rico is at Rance Rico, and I'm at M underscore Blade. Listen to Podeskew on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or anywhere else you find podcasts. Please don't forget to rate and comment. We want to thank our logo designer and show friend, Mike, for his work on our wonderful logo. You can contact him for artwork via email at logomike80 at gmail.com. Again, that's logomike80 at gmail.com. Thank you to Dubbed in English for our opening theme music, 96 Reasons. Thank you to Samuel Lemons for our closing music, Theme is You can find Sam on Twitter at Samuel Lemons, all one word, and his music on SoundCloud at www.soundcloud.com slash Samuel-Lemons. Finally, our biggest thank you is to you, everyone, for listening. Rico and I really appreciate your time and look forward to bringing you another episode soon.
If dog people made dog food, it wouldn't be sold in a 50-pound bag in the hardware aisle by the shoe polish. It would actually be food. It would be made with real, fresh meat and veggies gently cooked to preserve their nutritional value. You know, like food. The Farmer's Dog was created by dog people who cook and deliver fresh, healthy food. Try the Farmer's Dog and get fresh, pre-portioned meals tailored to your dog's needs. Tell us about your dog, build your plan, and get 50% off at thefarmersdog.com listen. That's thefarmersdog.com listen.